And welcome to the Twins Wrap here on the Mighty 790 KFGO. I am Derek Hansen. He is the television voice of the Minnesota Twins. And, well, we've said it for weeks now. The uh, sausage making is ugly. The sausage may not <laughs> smell all the best after it's all said and done, but I think it's edible anyway. Is that a good analogy? Yeah, I think what will happen here, Derek, is uh, provided the players uh, uh, sign off on uh, the implementation of the 60-game schedule, that once the games start, hopefully most of the stench uh, will, uh, if not dissipate, at least be forgotten by the fans because ultimately, you know, this is a fan's game, even though they haven't been treated very um, politely here over the last few weeks. But, you know, we're all looking forward to the day when, you know, Byron Buxton's tracking down a gapper in the right center field and, and, uh, you know, Miguel Sano's hitting a 440 foot home run and all that. It looks like we're going to be able to see that this year. Finally. What's your take on it as far as 60 games? We've talked a little bit about this, but because I've had a lot of people say, well, it doesn't feel like a real season. And I, I say to everyone, listen, for baseball for me, probably more than any other sport, is just an escape from everyday life. And Lord knows, with everything that's been going on, we need an escape from everyday life, right? So I guess I'm taking, you know, it's, something's better than nothing for me. I, and I, I do agree with you. I think once we start playing, we can kind of forget about the past with this. Well, I, you know, going back to March when this first happened, the interruption of uh, of the season, uh, you and a lot of other people asked me, you know, what's what's the minimum number? And the, the easy answer was 81. If you have less than half a season, well, then the credibility of the regular season is in question. And that's certainly the case. But as, you know, the, the things developed over the course of April and May, it became apparent that even 81 was going to be a stretch. Uh, that it isn't 70, and it's less than 81, and it's going to be 60. Well, that's because of the negotiation. But this was going to be a shortened season anyway, and so now it's settled at 60. It could have been even shorter than that. I, uh, you know, I'm glad that the uh, you know, MLB and the commissioner decided to extend a 60-game season. That offers a little more credibility. The one thing that hasn't happened yet, and I think it probably will before we start playing games is I really hope they get back and include the expanded playoff format because, as I think we discussed last week, um, it legitimizes the postseason uh, at a time when the regular season is illegitimized a little bit because of its shortness. So if you've got 16 teams in the postseason and you've got to beat four teams to win a World Series, uh, well, that, that makes it legitimate, the postseason. Uh, so we'll hope that that's what happens. Hopefully, you know, we can move forward. And the negotiations can continue, and uh, we'll have uh, almost as long a postseason as regular season. You know, it concerns me about that, though, because, there, you know, it seems like ne- neither side wants to give an inch. You know, the players would have to agree to that, knowing that the owners are going to make more money, right? And that, I guess that's the one thing that concerns me about, you know, I think we might be sticking still with, what is it, you know, t- 10 teams right now the way it is just because of that stubbornness there well yes but uh, the players would benefit financially as well from the extended postseason so it's really a win-win opportunity uh the the owners can make more money the players would make more money uh the fans would get to see more baseball health permitting of course and so there's really no reason not to do it but if anybody can find a way not to do something that benefits both sides it's probably the Players Association and the owners. July 1st, it's going to be interesting. It sounds like everyone's reporting to the cities, 
too, right? So it's not going to be involved with Florida and Arizona. So kind of sounds like training camp. I don't even want to call it spring training because we're in summer now, but that's most likely going to be at the host city. And will there be like exhibition games then? Yeah, that's a real good question. I know that the, the, the twins have gone back and forth on this uh, several times. Originally, they were going to play games or were planning on uh, having camp uh, at Target Field. And then the thought was, well, now, wait a minute. We're probably going to be better off if we actually have somewhat competitive games against the Red Sox and the Rays and all that. So then the plan was to have training camp in Fort Myers. Well, then the virus surged again throughout the state of Florida and Arizona. So now the word is all 30 teams will be training in their home ballparks. And so, uh, you know, you've got a situation where the Twins will be at Target Field getting ready for the season. Uh, Not only will the fans not be uh, invited to attend, because, of course, right now the fans can't even go to the real games, but the media will be separated uh, from the team practicing if we want to come to a practice, we've been told we'll have to be up in the baseball press box and can't be at field level. So, um, you know, my, my advice for fans is you know, go ahead and be excited about the season. I am uh, and, and look forward to the first games. But remind yourself from time to time that what you're going to see and what we're all going to experience this year is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen before. It's interesting. Do you think that there are going to be fans eventually? I kind of think they are. I mean, I think that it'll be because you talk about a 40,000 seat stadium and I think outside you'll be able to space it out. I think it is a possibility because there are so many events going on right now with, you know, fans. NASCAR had a few just uh, yesterday. So I, I think it is a possibility. Time will tell on that. Certainly by August, I wouldn't be surprised if we start announcing just a, a minimal amount of fans. And that's the hope that fans eventually in a limited basis will be able to go to the ballparks. But I imagine, and I don't know this, but I imagine that it will depend on the, uh, to use a math term, I guess, the lowest common denominator. In other words, if, if they can't allow fans in the ballpark in Arizona, it then would be unfair to allow them in New York or St. Louis or Minnesota for that matter. So I think you're going to be looking at a world where for fans to come into the ballparks, all 30 major league ballparks are going to have to have it be relatively safe for fans to attend games. Uh, because if they can in New York, say, because they've kind of, you know, they've, they spiked and now they're, you know, in, in a little bit better shape certainly than they used to be. But if you can't allow fans in the games in St. Petersburg or Miami, well, then I don't know that, you know, it would be terribly, uh, in, uh, unequal to be able to allow fans at some ballparks and then not others. But I, I don't know how they're going to sort through that. But hopefully, you know, come playoff time, if we get that far, health permitting, uh, some fans would be able uh, to, uh, you know, go to the games, which would uh, certainly be great for the fans, but it also would, you know, provide some ambiance to the telecast and the radio broadcast. Yeah, I don't know if uh, stuffed animals from the South Korea games are pretty good, but I, it's, it's, I think no doubt just to have a little bit of the, the crowd noise in the back certainly would help. You know, speaking of that, I mean, it's going to be interesting that there's still word that you guys are going to have to do road games remotely. Has much changed on that at all? or Not that I'm aware of. Now, I, I suspect that that's a component that can change an awful lot here in the coming weeks, uh, but I am prepared to announce the home games at Target Field, but also 
announced the uh, road games from Target Field in a darkened, empty stadium looking at the very same monitors that the viewers are going to be looking at. Uh, I, I, I think all the play-by-play guys around the country are are you know preparing to do something that none of us have ever done before. That's the way, as we've discussed, you know, some radio broadcasts used to be done decades ago, but uh, you know now the technology hopefully will make it easier for that to be done. But all that said, it's 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 going to be a, a challenge for all of us to try to fill in some blanks for the viewer when all we're left seeing is exactly what the viewer is seeing. Yeah, it's going to be a odd time. Have you? I mean. Have you ever talked to an old uh, broadcaster who kind of had to do that? You know, we always hear about the ticker, you know, in the crack of the bat or whatever, the kind of the, in, in a radio studio. Did, do you ever talk to anyone who actually went through that? Yeah, I, the only one I have talked to about that is a guy by the name of Jaime Harin. And uh, he has long been the Dodger Spanish broadcaster. He's in the broadcasting wing of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And he actually did the 1965 World Series between the Dodgers and the Twins uh, from Metropolitan Stadium. He was back in Los Angeles doing that. And, uh, you know, that was a long, long time ago. And in all honesty, that might have been the last uh, time that anybody's ever done that. Uh, I know that, that uh, at least on a you know major scale, uh, the Twins have done that with their Spanish broadcasts. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a different challenge. Uh, to be able to do that on radio as opposed to on television when, you know, you know, as I've said, I think on your show, you know, one of the things that I enjoy about being on site is, okay, the counts wanted to, and now I can see Byron Buxton taking three steps into the gap in right center field. Well, I'm, you know, are we going to be able to do that if the twins are playing uh, at Wrigley Field, for instance? You know, well, I probably not. Uh, they're talking about trying to provide some uh, extra monitors for us uh, to allow us to see that. But you know, now we're going to be, if that's the case, we're going to have 12 different monitors to look at. But you know, you can only look at one at a time. So uh, it's going to be a challenge, and and uh, I'll I'll look forward to it because it means baseball's being played, and and uh, anything as different as it might be, anything is better than nothing. Last night on Twins Classic Radio, we kind of uh, talked a little bit about the relationship between the Twins and Tigers going back to 1987. I played back a interview I, I was able to do with Ernie Harwell in the dugout of the of the Metrodome and the and the Tigers side, and he was just the nicest person ever. And I think about him and Vin Scully because I didn't have cable TV as a kid, and obviously Herb Carneal on the radio side when I didn't have cable TV as a kid. But hearing you know uh, all these great broadcasters like Ernie Harwell. Uh, and, you know, on the national playoff scene too, right, way back in the days of CBS Radio. I'm sh- sh- w- Was it a thrill for you to meet guys like that all these years? Because it certainly has been for me. When when Vince Scully, I went to Dodger Stadium way back when, when Vince Scully walked through the press backs, my heart just skipped a beat because I couldn't believe it. And I, I think those voices, because players come and go, but those voices and those personalities just never change. Yeah, I, I have gotten a great thrill in meeting, oh, I'm I'm afraid of giving you a list, but because I'm afraid I'm going to forget somebody, but her, Vin Scully, Harry Carey, Jack Buck, Bob Murphy, Chuck Thompson, uh, all of the, the great broadcasters that really uh, were fixtures in the game for decades, mainly in one market. And that's what made it so special 
that Bob Murphy was the voice of the Mets. And, and you know, Vin Scully, the Dodgers, of course, Ernie Harwell, uh, the Tigers, uh, Jack Buck, the Cardinals, in addition to all his national work. And so, yeah, I, I you know, if you're in my business, you know, they are gods, lowercase case G, but they're <laughs> gods and they're to be revered. And, and it has been one of the great thrills of my career to be able to uh, meet them, get to know them, and in some cases call them friends. You know, one of my favorites was down at Clearwater. I just happened to run into uh, Harry Callis. And for people who don't know, longtime voice of uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. And I cannot find that tape anywhere, Dick. And that is just driving me crazy. But what a nice gentleman. And for football fans out there, I mean, if you had HBO and the, and, and the NFL films stuff that they did with, you know, Len Dawson and that show or whatever, and, and the voice of that taking over for John Facenda, I mean, he was a legendary voice too. I just There's so many guys like that. One thing I'm glad I did a long time ago, Derek, is uh, I had uh, Jack Buck sign a baseball because I was living in Missouri for five years in the '60s and listened to him and just thought he was, you know, superb at what he did. And and lo and behold, I became a baseball broadcaster too. But then I added other uh, Hall of Fame broadcasters, Harry Carey and and Vince Scully, and so I got a baseball in my office that has twenty some Hall of Fame baseball broadcasters, and that's. One of the things I really, when I walk into my office from time to time, I'll I'll stop and look at it and rotate the ball and look at all the great names, Chuck Thompson all the way up to Bob Costas and, and people like that. I, I, I It's kind of my connection to my profession going back in some cases all the way to the 30s and 40s. You know, you as a broadcaster too, I want to ask you a little bit about, you know, you look at a guy like Phil Rizzuto, and I think some of the guys I admire the most are, you know, former players who, I mean, I think most of those guys, anyone can be an analyst, right? It's a lot of hard work. And I think, you know, a guy that you work with, Justin Morneau, I know has worked really hard at it behind the scenes. People don't realize that. But for a guy like Dan Gladden, and you could, <laughs> we've been playing back classic twins, 87-91, probably one of the most, un- you know, we, we don't talk about what he did to win those two World Series enough of just listening that he was like in every play. But, you know, he's really worked at his craft to become a play-by-play guy, right? I mean, and, and I think for those guys, not to take that for granted, who they are, I really give a lot of admiration to those guys, too. The best example for me is Jim Cott. Yeah. Because while he was in the heyday of his athletic career with the Twins in the mid-60s, uh, he started his broadcasting career. He worked for a station uh, in Shakopee here, and he did high school football and basketball and I, you can imagine in the mid-60s, he wasn't getting paid hardly anything to do that. But he understood that, and of course, he had a long, long career. But he understood that at some point that was going to end, and he wanted to stay connected with sports. And lo and behold, in my mind, uh, he's been the best analyst in any sport, you know, because of, uh, A, his long career that he excelled in, 283 major league wins, but he recognized at an early age that this broadcasting thing could kind of be a, a nice gig to have, too. And he worked on it and went to literally the lowest levels of broadcasting, high school football, uh, in the midst of his, you know, I think, Hall of Fame career to start working on his second career. So I really give Jim a lot of props for that. And as a result, I think he's one of the few guys who 
should be in the Hall of Fame in both categories, both as a player and as a broadcaster. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Can you imagine looking, you know, playing high school football and looking up and seeing Jim Cott call your game? <laughs> that would be quite a deal. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he, he broadcast uh, games, he says, uh, for, and I forget the, the gentleman's real name, but Sergeant Slaughter, the, the professional oh, yeah, wrestler. Yeah. Oh. And so he, <laughs> he's kept in contact with him. So, you know, it just goes on and on and on. But if none of that would have happened, of course, if he hadn't, you know, for, I don't know, 15 bucks a game or whatever he was making back in 1966 doing high school football. Oh, that is awesome. Well, I, certainly it's been fun uh, uh, with a game used too. I'm sure that as, you know, as I mentioned before, things open up and uh, going through that, it's been just nice summertime reading. I know a lot of people reached out to try to get that for Father's Day, but it's still not too late. I'm sure, sure the uh, book is still out there and about. Last time I checked, uh, the Barnes and Noble and Fargo still had it uh, in stock. And as we've discussed, Eric, one of the reasons I wrote it is I, I wanted this season uh, to be a celebration uh, of the 60th year of Twins baseball. I wanted the book to be a part of that. And so I'm, I'm really delighted that it sure looks like we're going to have a 60th year of Twins baseball. And as I've told people on many occasions uh, this year, who knows, maybe this will be the year the Twins get to the playoffs and win the World Series. And then maybe we'll just look back at the delayed start to the season as being well worth the wait. Well, I guess I want to finish up talking about Nelson Cruz and winning the Muhammad Ali Humanitarian Award for from the ESPYs because, boy, I met him for the first time in the spring, and there's not a nicer professional athlete out there besides maybe Tory Hunter and Kirby Puckett. I, just down to earth and a smile on his face. And, boy, if there's anyone deserving, and, and you know, knowing that he's in the twilight of his career, I certainly hope he has another a great season because I think – the thrill that he gave Twins fans in 2019, I'd love to see that duplicated. When you reach uh, his advanced age and hit more home runs than your age, and then you realize you know, what he does off the field, the personality, the, the warmth that you get when you, when you experience him, uh, to me, when he won the award, I was thrilled for him. Just absolutely thrilled. Uh, but I kept thinking to myself, well, now why... Didn't he stay in Texas? Why didn't he stay in Baltimore? Why didn't he stay in Seattle? I mean, what, you know, I'm sure in each case it was a financial consideration. But my goodness, can you imagine how how revered he would be if he had somehow stayed uh, bouncing around a little bit early in his career? But if he had, you know, developed in Texas and stayed in Texas, he, you know, he'd be right up there with Yvonne Rodriguez in terms of, you know, fixtures uh, in the Texas Ranger organization. Yeah, no question. He's certainly becoming the, you know, Jim Tomey type of folk hero for the, the later part of his career for the Minnesota Twins. That is uh, yeah. for sure. Well, I'm uh, looking forward to hearing you on the air when we get that schedule out. I can't wait to talk to you next week about it because I'm sure it kind of looks like the commissioners, they, they had something to plan knowing that this would take place. Is that safe to say? So there's probably something that, you know, maybe released sooner than later. Am, am I, is that just hopeful of me or? No, I, I, I think that uh, they have had their schedule makers working on a variety of different schedules depending on the length of the schedule. Uh, so, yeah, I would imagine that, uh, you know, uh, upon ratification by the players, that very quickly there will be a schedule. There will need to be because, uh, you know, traveling secretaries, uh, you know, guys who have to book hotel rooms for players and flights and all that, they got to get to work. So I would imagine by the time we talk next week, uh, we'll know where the Twins are going to start and where they will be and how many games will be at Target Field. And uh, then shortly after that, I would guess there will be a TV schedule. 
see how many games are maybe national broadcast and how many will be on uh, Fox Sports North. So, yeah, it, we're, we're excited that there appears to be a season on the horizon, and there's a lot of murkiness right now, but I suspect that uh, a week from now a lot of that will be cleared up. I'm looking forward to it for me both professionally and personally. <laughs> As a well, just pro- think about your listeners, Derek. They're going to have a chance <laughs> to have you and me uh, talk about actual players uh. and plays and games instead of labor negotiations and COVID-19. Yeah, that is for sure. I can't wait for it. Dick, so much. Thank you again. It's always a thrill to talk to you. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday. You got it, Derek. The television voice of the Minnesota Twins, Dick Bramer, with the Twins Wrap, brought to you by Jefferson Lines, also the author of Game Used. You can go out and get that book almost anywhere online or certainly at your local bookstore.